Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz from Walk Your Dead Now. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world tonight. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. And if you haven't already done so, please visit our YouTube channel, which is called Walking Dead Now. Please go ahead and subscribe. If you're there right now, please go ahead and hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. Before we get started today, let me say hello to some of you. We've got CC Wheezy with us on YouTube. Late Mike is with us. Singer Chick Khaleesi is joining us. Hard Productions. On Facebook, we have uh, Alex Loxon asking for a shout out. There's your shout out, Alex. Uh, welcome to all you guys on the uh, YouTube and Facebook, Twitter side. On the Instagram side, we have Muhammad, Nestor, Rebecca is with us. Uh, Jonathan is also joining us. Amber, welcome to all you guys. And boy, did we get a treat over the weekend in regards to Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, I know we're only two episodes into this season, but I'm just trying to find the right words. It's something special. Something special is going on on Fear this season. And it's something that we've never seen before on Fear. That goes without any question. And I would, without any hesitation, say that if this continues, this is going to rival the Walking Dead, you know, heydays of seasons three, four, five, six, and whatever your favorite seasons might be on The Walking Dead. But it is something special. Uh, Strand and Daniel are, I love watching those two realizing that they have to go back to the people that they were in order to beat Virginia. Uh, Daniel awesomely played off his uh, memory loss throughout that whole episode. It had me wondering, did he, I mean, I'm like, nah, this guy has to be, you know, uh, playing with them. It was so convincing though. And it wasn't until the final moments when he comes across Morgan that we do realize that he has been putting up an act and man, Strand, wow, uh, I've always loved Strand. He's always been uh, one of the most interesting characters on Fear the Walking Dead. And what he did on this episode, uh, yeah, we might, of course, the comparison flashes in my mind going back to season two of The Walking Dead in regards to what Shane did to Otis in order for Shane to escape the walkers. And it rivaled that uh, almost exactly. Uh, Strand knew in order for his friends and everyone else to survive, he had to sacrifice someone. And he did. And they took down that massive horde of walkers that was trapped inside that storage unit. And I was asking myself, damn, they really crammed in a lot of Walking Dead into that little storage space. It was phenomenal. And the way that that whole sequence played out, uh, I loved the beginning when they brought in those five guys to try to clear them out. And they just went down one by one. They just got overpowered by walkers that were not even fully exposed. They only got that storage unit door open about yay much. And it was enough for them to be molasses. There was molasses in there. And them getting stuck to the molasses, being drugged under the that door, devoured, uh, while we only saw half of their torso up and above the rest was being eaten behind that door i mean oh my god uh talk about amazing and also 
This episode of Fear was Lenny James's directorial debut. Uh, Morgan uh, from Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead directed this episode of Fear. So a huge congratulations to Lenny on an amazing directorial debut. Uh, he did a fantastic job. And just like the article that we read last week, uh, how he was describing the experience and how Coleman Domingo, who plays Strand, was with him every step of the way in his directorial debut. Now we know why, because Strand and Alicia were the two main uh, characters that was the focus of the episode that we got uh, over the weekend in Fear. And Coleman was right there with Lenny, helping him from the very start all the way through the post-production of the episode. So hats off, congratulations to Lenny James on a fantastic directorial debut. Uh, hats off to the entire Fear of the Walking Dead team for an amazing episode that they gave us. Last week's episode, uh, the one we got yesterday as well, by far two of the best Fear episodes we have seen to date. And we've got another 14 more to go. This season on Fear is going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, and this comes from the man himself, you know, one of the executive producers slash directors of Fear, Michael Satrazimus, who's been a guest on our show. Uh, this season is just going to take us on a ride. So for all you guys out there that started fear a couple of years ago lost interest never went back to it my recommendation is to go on a binge get your butts caught up and start watching this season and make it through uh the earlier seasons which are good but they are not in the same ballpark to what we are seeing in the last few episodes of this current season Get your butts caught up and start watching this season of Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Let's see what you guys are saying on the chats. I have to scroll up a little bit. Uh, Singer Chick writes, oh my God, Morgan and Daniel. Dan's reviews write, this was an absolutely great episode. Season six is honestly one of the best seasons. It is the best season, in my opinion, Dan, uh, but I absolutely agree with you. Um, let's see, Khaleesi writes, I totally agree with Dan. Uh, just scrolling down through the chats here, Stone Walkers writes, Shane is the badass uh, here. He died and became Frank Castle. Uh, you've got some comments there, Stone Walkers. You really pull some stuff out of the air. Uh, Bella is with us on Facebook. Uh, let's see. We're going to get to World Beyond here in a second. Hard Productions. Lindsay Sparks is with us on Facebook. Welcome, Lindsay. Uh, VJ is also with us on Facebook as well. Uh, let's see. A lot of thumbs up on the Instagram side. Welcome to all you guys joining us tonight on this Monday evening. Now, now World Beyond. Great episode, good episode. It was primarily a little backstory to Silas, uh, one of the teenagers traveling along. But the big part of World Beyond was the revelation of the population. 200,000 strong in the CRM. 200,000. Now, what we don't know is that just the Omaha section of the CRM, does that include the entire CRM that is spread out in various parts of the United States? We also know there is a Portland uh, colony uh, up in Oregon. Uh, we know there's one in New York as well. So does that 200,000 number... 
mean just Omaha, as Elizabeth described it, towards the end of the episode. And then we saw Elizabeth after she had uh, one of her soldiers come to her. And it was really bothered him what they had to do to the Omaha colony. They they annihilated the Omaha colony. That was at the end of the first episode that we saw in the uh, premiere of the uh, the show. They annihilated. They killed everyone in the colony. So the four teens and um, you know Felix and Huck, who went after them, are the only survivors of the Omaha colony. They still yet have no idea what the CRM did to their home. So there's some interesting stuff. And this thing is just going to keep building and building as these episodes progress. But 200,000, that's the number you guys got to remember. So we're looking at a minimum of 200,000 people in the CRM. It could be a lot more if Elizabeth was just referring to the number of people in Omaha. If that was the number that she was just referring to under her command in Omaha, then there's a lot more than 200,000. I don't know if she was talking about the whole CRM group in the United States in general, but that's crazy. Compare that to the uh, Commonwealth that we got a glimpse of at the Walking Dead finale, the the guys with the uh, Stormtrooper outfits. That's our introduction to the CRM. Uh, in the comic books, and most likely in the TV show as well, they are 50,000 strong. So there's been a lot of chatter in previous episodes here on Dead Talk Live of whether the CRM and the Commonwealth are going to cross paths. Well, if that happens, the Commonwealth doesn't stand a chance. Uh, And I mentioned it before that I don't see that happening in any of the spinoffs moving forward, whether it's The Walking Dead, Fear, World Beyond, the Daryl Carroll spinoff, the anthology. I just don't see the CRM and the Commonwealth ever crossing paths. That's just my opinion. But if they do, uh, even the Commonwealth with their huge numbers of 200,000, I'm sorry, the Commonwealth with 50,000 coming across the CRM with at least 200,000, yeah, even the Commonwealth probably doesn't stand a chance in hell when it comes to that. So a very important takeaway from this last episode that we saw this weekend from World Beyond is the CRM is a force to be reckoned with. They have every resource you can imagine, power, food. Just think of the num- the amount of food you need to grow to feed 200,000 people, okay? And they seem to be doing it with no problem. The advanced weaponry that they have, they have it all. And it's... Anyone that comes up against them is going to be no match. And that leads us to the question of, it just adds a lot more questions to the whole Rick Grimes uh, situation. He is either working with or being held captive by this CRM group that is so huge. Uh, And... No matter what kind of a badass Rick is that we know that he is, yeah, he's not single-handedly with him. And you know, if he when he meets up with Michonne or any of his other team members from Alexandria, they don't stand a chance with the CRM. So it's going to be very, very interesting on how the writers uh, write out this movie for Rick Grimes. Uh, is he going to be a prisoner? Is he going to be part of the group? Is he going to... I don't know. I have no idea. But that's what makes it even more fascinating. That's what made this last episode of World Beyond so intriguing for me to watch. Is It just added a whole bunch more questions to the upcoming Rick Grimes movies. Uh, because they are just so massive. They're huge. 
so anyway, uh, Summer on Facebook writes, I think he is being held captive. Well, if he is, then he is really shit out of luck. If he is being held captive, uh, I don't know how he makes his way out of that one. We have to see. We got to see what the storyline is, what the plot is. Uh, what we do know is that whatever whatever is going on with Rick, it is enough that if he's not being held captive, for him to keep him away from his family. He must see whatever the CRM is doing as something that he endorses for the future of humanity or is so outright opposed to them, he is leading some kind of rebellion against the CRM. And because he sees what they are trying to build, their new world order that they are trying to establish, establish, which we have seen so many times throughout this franchise, Negan had his idea of what the new world order should look like. Uh, the CRM has their thoughts. Virginia, uh, in Fear of the Walking Dead, has her vision of what the new world should look like. So you have all these different groups uh, that have their own plans on what the future of humanity will look like uh, in the new world. And I think it all comes down to, well, you know, are, is anyone going to get their way? Or is nature going to beat them all out and there's going to be no one left standing? This uh, virus is really the end, of the end of humanity. And when it's all said and done with, it doesn't matter who had the vision, whose vision was correct in moving forward. It's going to be, you know, Mother Nature that wins in the end and nobody will be left to survive. Anyway, just a lot of stuff to think about. Hard Productions on YouTube writes, I don't think he's being held capt captive because it'd be unreal if he was broke out in the movies. I don't see Michonne getting through 200,000 people. I absolutely agree. Summer says maybe they threatened to kill Michonne and Judith. That's a possibility if that if he doesn't follow what they want him to do, they may threaten uh, Michonne and Judith and maybe I've even told him about his son, that he does have a son with Michonne and RJ. A lot of questions. Uh, Anso is giving us a lot of smiley love faces on Instagram. Uh, Aib is giving us a hello. Benja is uh, waving at us. Havis is waving at us. Harsh Singh is also waving at us. Barack is saying hello on Instagram as well. Lazy is giving us a smiley love face. Welcome to all you guys on Instagram. Uh, I want to welcome all of you guys. Mary61Mom has joined us. Denningal is with us. Says, uh, have not seen any fear. May give it a go. After I have binged The Walking Dead. I highly recommend it, Stenning Uh, You know, it's gone through a lot of ups and downs. But get through the seasons. It really gets good in seasons four, five. But this current season, season six, is completely off the charts. Completely off the charts. Uh, Summer writes, wait, first of all, Grace is joining us on Facebook. Welcome, Grace. Summer writes, come on now, Ethan. Michonne can get through anything to get to her man. Yeah, I got to disagree with you on that one, Summer. Not even Michonne can, uh, you know, get through uh, that kind of weaponry. <laughs> uh, Stone Walker writes, all I know is we need Rick. Well... You know, AJ is with us as well on YouTube. Hello, AJ. Uh, Want to welcome Connie, who's joining us on Facebook as well. So, I don't know, guys. We got to see. So, let's get to some of uh, the reviews that were posted on the news uh, in regards to uh, what they thought about fear. And, of course, we'll, you know, break this down and add our own input into this. 
So the first review to yesterday's episode of Fear is called, which is the title of the episode, Welcome to the Club. And it's in reference to, you know, the whole thing, the whole big thing, I guess you can say about yesterday's episode of Fear was that Virginia was putting a whole bunch of people to the test to see who can actually clear those walkers out of that storage space in that factory. And it was Strand. And he stepped up to the challenge. He did what he had to do. And that's exactly what Virginia was looking for. And he earned himself a ranger key. He's now one of her rangers. You might even call him, you know, Virginia's lieutenant. Now, is that a smart move on her end? She is betting on the fact that Strand is just that, you know, sneaky personality, which we all know he is. Strand in no way is perfect, and we know he has a shady past. Strand has always been known to do what's in the best interest of Victor Strand and nobody else, and Virginia is absolutely counting on that. That's why she gave him the ranger key, and I love the conversation that he had with Alicia, basically telling her that he doesn't want her around. He does not want her to see the stuff that he is going to have to do from the inside to ensure that his friends, Alicia, Daniel, Charlie, and the rest of them uh, end up winning this war between them and the pioneers. So he knows what he's going to have to become. And he's, has, he's going to have to go back to the old Victor Strand, uh, as does Morgan, which we saw in the premiere episode, uh, you know, a week ago. Morgan realizes that in order to defeat Virginia, he has to go back to being Killer Morgan. And this whole all life is precious has to be put to the side in order to win this war. Uh and the same thing with Daniel. So it's it's really odd that Daniel and Victor, who in the early seasons of Fear the Walking Dead, were at complete odds with one another. Uh, but now they are, I think they're going to become the two plus them, those two plus Morgan are going to be the three. Morgan working from the outside and then you have Daniel and Strand on the inside, who is ultimately going to win, hopefully win, this battle with Virginia and her pioneers. You know, now will this all end by the end of the season? I don't know. Will it spill over into season seven of Fear the Walking Dead? We just got to wait and see. Um, AJ writes, I wonder if Michonne... Uh, we'll tell Judith about her real mom and Shane. Uh, you know, I don't see a reason why she would. It's really kind of irrelevant. And there's been some speculation on here that she already knows. I mean, Judith knows, uh, you know, she's a smart girl. And I'm sure she has figured out a lot of stuff, even if it was not directly told to her. Uh, so anyway, Khaleesi writes, yes, Ethan, we just about stopped watching after Nick. I'm so glad that we didn't. Yes, we are definitely reaping the rewards of staying with fear, especially over the last two seasons and this one as well. Lindsay Sparks writes, I'm really enjoying Fear the Walking Dead. It is phenomenal. So let's get on to this article, Okay. The title of yesterday's episode was called Welcome to the Club, and it goes on to say, generally speaking, I, t I tend to take a more philosophical approach to writing my reviews. Zombie shows in particular have a lot of meat on the bone in this regard and offer a lot of food for thought. Puns aside, this week's Welcome to the Club, directed by none other than Fear the Walking Dead's own Lenny James, tackles the notion of identity-defining morality in an episode that's filled with plenty of twists and turns. This may be uh, James's directorial debut, 
but he nonetheless delivers one of Fear's strongest episodes. I certainly appreciated the old-school horror movie vibe he brought to this week's morality play, and he gets strong performances from Ruben Blades and especially from Coleman Domingo in particular, which makes sense given Welcome to the Club is really Strand's story. Indeed, uh, Nazreen Qadri's script uh, posts that who we are versus who we want to be can seem like an insurmountable distance. As far as dramatic conceits go, this conscious gap is fertile ground when deconstructing someone as morally conflicted as Victor Strand. As, as we soon find out, though, Strand's gap is really more of a gaping chasm. He's quick to point fingers at Alicia and Daniel for his moral deficiencies, but the blame is really his alone to bear, as it should be. But more on that in a bit. In the meantime, Welcome to the Club busies itself with several unexpected reunions, as you recall, Virginia arbitrarily split the bigger group at the end of the last season. Strand and Alicia wound up at the same settlement, pulling latrine duty during their arrival two months earlier. So imagine their surprise when they later discover Daniel cutting Virginia's hair. What's more surprising is that he has no recollection of Strand nor Alicia. Naturally, his friends believe he's putting on an act. How else to explain how a once, a once ruthless member of a Salvadorian death squad could be so easily, easily intimidated by Virginia? He doesn't seem to remember Charlie, either, even after she plays a bit of the Traveling Wilbury song he once taught her. In one of the episode's better twists, and in another surprise reunion, this time between Daniel and Morgan, we discover his amnesia is nothing more than a clever ruse. Blades is great at portraying two very different states of mind, pro proving that Daniel is just as cunning as ever. And hats off to Reuben Blades' performance. He was amazing in yesterday's episode. So, I mean, hats off to him. He's such an amazing actor. And I don't know how many of you guys know this, that Ruben Blades is a very uh, famous uh, singer in Latin America as well. Strand hasn't lost his edge either when it comes to pulling the wool over people's eyes. He would have Alicia believe he is a changed man no longer capable of selfish behavior that's gotten people killed in the past. He's trying hard to retain his identity to honor Daniel's parting words to remember who he is. This is an interesting advice given their acrimonious history, so I wonder if what Daniel really meant was for Strand to embrace his cowardly instinct for self-preservation. That's an interesting point right there. Luckily, Coleman Domingo is at his best when he's bringing out the worst in Strand. And, you know, again, Coleman Domingo's performance yesterday as Victor Strand, everybody's performance yesterday, it was just spot on. Strand's not only the coward in the group, however, enter Sanjay, Sanjay is the person that Strand sacrificed. Uh, he chickened out in the beginning when he was sent in with four other or five other members to try to clear that storage unit. He chickened out. That's why he survived. Uh, then when it came time again with Strand, Alicia, and the others, and himself, he booked it for the RV. And... Strand had to make a decision, and he sacrificed him. As opposed to how, what I mentioned earlier, to you know how we compared his actions to what Shane did in season two of The Walking Dead, 
I actually agreed with what Strand did yesterday. He was faced with an impossible situation. All of his friends were in danger. And uh, he did what he had to do. He absolutely did what he had to do. AJ uh, wants to know, Viz, who do you think uh, would win the villain, the governor or Negan? The governor. The governor is by far the most evil antagonist we have seen in any of the Walking Dead shows so far. uh, Because he is a true psychopath. And that's kind of hard to top. So... I know a lot of you guys are going to say Negan because you liked him so much and we like him who he is now. But when it comes to pure evil, uh, Negan was good at putting on a show. Negan was good at talking the talk and walking the walk when he had to. Uh, The governor also, of course, was good at putting on the fake smile and I'll stab you in the back performance. But when it comes down to pure evil... It's going to be very hard to top the governor, in my opinion. Very hard. Because the governor, uh, Philip Blake, his real his name, his character's name, I know we all love, you know, we all call him the governor, but he is a true psychopath. You know, he's an absolute psychopath. Hard Productions writes, Governor was a better villain than Negan. Uh, I'm not going to change your mind on that one, Hard Productions. Anyway... Inter Sanjay, he's part of the bigger group of prisoners that now also includes Strand, Alicia, Charlie, and Janice. And I'm really starting to like Janice a lot, uh, which is tasked with clearing out an old store, a sugar warehouse. As we already know, this is way more difficult and deadly than it sounds. But when Strand and Alicia learn from Virginia's younger sister, Dakota, that there's a secret weapon stored in the dialect building that decide to acquire the weapon for themselves. Now, we all find out at the end of the episode, there is no weapon. As Virginia stated to Strand, the weapon was to see who could clear out that storage unit. And it looks like she's been trying for some time to find the right people who could come up with the right plan to do it. And that was her weapon. And she found that in Strand. Uh, He was the one that stepped up in Virginia's eyes. Now, going on to uh, Virginia's sister, Dakota. uh, Man, do those two look alike? Uh, You know, uh, I I don't think they're related to one another, but damn, does Dakota and Virginia look like family in real life? Uh, that just struck me. The casting for them was so spot on. And I like Dakota's character. Uh, I don't believe in any way that she lied to them about there being a weapon inside of there. She was really, she really wants to see her sister taken down. She's obviously her younger, you know, Dakota is Virginia's younger sister by a lot. And, uh, you know, Virginia loves her sister, or at least feels the need to protect and look after her. And that is definitely a weakness that can be exploited by the survivors on the show. Uh, But damn, do those two look alike? Anyway, let's continue. When Strand and Alicia learn from Dakota that there is no weapon, that they're, you know, about the weapon, they go to get it for themselves... That weapon is housed in an old sugar warehouse. Uh, it is important because if we uh, we only encounter molasses-infused zombies, not only is this uh, spilled molasses sticky, it means the undead now possess a sticky, inescapable death grip. There's a B-movie shocklessness to this that's fun without being too silly. The makeshift cattle shoot the prisoners construct to corral the zombie horde is also a clever bit of fun. That is, until the walkers begin to overwhelm the jerry-rigged barriers, two armed rangers are easily taken out by the horde, while the prisoners manage to defend themselves with nothing more than spears. 
But things go from bad to worse when Sanjay abandons his post at the gate. Strand tracks him down to the trailer where he is hiding. There can be only one coward in this group, and in this case, it's Strand. In a particularly dark turn of events, he sacrifices Sanjay to save everyone else. But by killing Sanjay, Strand is also surrendering surrendering any last traces of his humanity. I don't completely agree 100% with that last line. I think it was a strategic move, uh, partially on Strand's part. I would not entirely call it cowardly. Like I said, I see it as the only card he had to play, and he played it. In other words, he's finally embracing his true nature, he doubles down on this later by lying to try to save Sanjay, but this is vintage Strand. While his actions might be morally repugnant, I still much prefer this version of Strand to the watered-down version we got last season. Now, let me ask you guys who have been following Fear. Do you guys like, you know, the selfish Strand who really who really cares all about himself or do you like the strand that we saw over the last couple of seasons who was you know let's go out and help save people as far as interesting goes you know selfish strand is far more interesting as a character to watch on the screen and i truly believe that his actions right now and what he is doing is for the better good of his friend, for his friends, and for the group entirely, and also for the other prisoners that have been, you know, rounded up by Virginia and put to hard labor by her to rebuild his future, that we still don't have a clear idea what her vision on this future really is yet. But for me personally, I prefer the strand that we got yesterday. In another neat twist, the secret weapon turns out to be a gaff by demonstrating his metal and ingenuity in clearing out the warehouse. Strand has proven to be the very weapon Virginia was searching for all along. He even receives a key to the city for his troubles, which means his days of cleaning latrines are over now that he's able to call his own shot strand reassigns alicia to another settlement where she can no longer remind him of the decent person he might have been he's not comfortable being a sheep even if only by outward appearances strand would rather be a wolf in wolf's clothing and that sums it up pretty well. That's a great article on the uh, show that we saw yesterday. And uh, he gave that medallion that Daniel gave him of uh, St. Christopher, who the way Daniel explained it to Strand is to help you when something is weighing heavily on your heart. He gave it to Strand. And by the end of the episode, Strand passes it on to Alicia in a very symbolic way of uh, telling Alicia, you know, what I'm about to do and what I need to do, this is of no value to me. So you take this because, you know, you're going to need it more. And him and Daniel working on the inside, just like I said in the beginning of this episode, and then, of course, we get to see Morgan at the end. Daniel reveals that the whole amnesia thing is nothing but a clever ruse. Fascinating. All right, let's move on to the world beyond. Okay, and uh, this article is, of course, about the, the size of the community that we got to find out in regards to the CRM. So it goes on to say, I'm still trying to decide what to make of The Walking Dead's new spin-off world beyond 
My initial impression is that it's neither good nor bad, but landing somewhere in the mostly fine area. But the longer it goes on, the more interested I am in not so much in the characters, but rather the larger world building that the show is revealing about the Walking Dead universe as a whole. Things are getting confusing in the Walking Dead land because of timeline differences. The best I can figure is that Fear the Walking Dead is a few years behind the Walking Dead uh, after the show went through several time skips and the Walking Dead is a few more years behind World Beyond which we know takes place 10 full years after the zombie apocalypse began, meaning most of its cast members were mere children at the time. I don't agree with that, okay? According to the timeline that I have discussed on this show previously, The Walking Dead, using the references that I have used, is somewhere between 17 to 20 years into the zombie apocalypse. World Beyond is, there's no doubt about this, they've come out and told us, it's 10 years into the zombie apocalypse. Fear was way behind, and they caught up in the beginning of season four to The Walking Dead. And they had to do that because Morgan crossed over from The Walking Dead to Fear. So they had to do that time jump in Fear to get those two aligned for Morgan to go over. So that's how I see it. The Walking Dead is somewhere between 17 to 20 years into the zombie apocalypse, going on the calculations and the reference points that I've used. Um, Fear is about six to seven years behind The Walking Dead. And then, of course, we know World Beyond is 10 years into the apocalypse itself. Anyway, moving on. But what World Beyond is doing is giving us a look at what increasingly seems like its most important fixture in the Walking Dead universe as a whole, CRM, the Civic Republic Military, a.k.a. the helicopter people, a.k.a. the ones who took Rick Grimes. In the pilot, we saw them purge the Omaha community entirely, deeming them as a future threat. I still don't understand how. But in this episode, CRM leader uh, Elizabeth revealed that she lives in a city apartment with power, water, even TV. Now, when she turned on that TV, I, even with the CRM and 200,000 people and power and running water and all the you know good stuff, I doubt they're having live broadcasts. So she has a TV, but unless you have a pretty nice Blu-ray DVD collection, I don't think you're watching any new shows. Because as advanced as a CRM is, I don't think one of their top priorities is to... Uh, you know, film, movie, or TV show entertainment. That's my opinion. But anyway, at the end of the episode, uh, has her staring, uh, starting that she does the things she does to protect the community that they have of 200,000 people. Yep, 200,000 people. To put this in context of the larger Walking Dead universe, We have never seen a group even close to this size. Groups like Woodbury or the Saviors or Alexandria have never been more than maybe a few hundred at the most, maybe a thousand people. Now that's about to change in The Walking Dead proper as they're going to be introduced to the comic source material group, The Commonwealth, which boasts 50,000 people, so much that they're even throwing things like football games again. But according to this, CRM has four times that amount. And from sneak previews of the Rick Grimes movies, it appears that their central city base is in Philadelphia. 
if they're talking about that very short teaser of the helicopters flying towards the city skyline, a lot of people have uh, speculated that's Philadelphia. And in the premiere, the series premiere of World Beyond, for me, it's sort of cemented it's somewhere in New York State because Elizabeth gives uh, Iris and Hope a map of New York State. So, in my opinion, I believe that's where Rick is, whether where he is or being held, whatever it may be, I think Rick is somewhere in New York State. You know, that's what I think. All right, let me just take a pause. Welcome and say hello to all the people. A lot of people have joined us on Instagram. Welcome to all you guys. Um, Care Bear has joined us. Uh, Harsh is also with us. Uh, let's see. Cat uh, has joined us on YouTube. Welcome, Cat. Cat says, I have a feeling none of us is really right about the time jumps. I'm waiting on an official announcement. Might be a good question to ask a guest. Yeah, well, I don't even think the cast themselves really have an idea of the timeline. Unless we uh, talk to maybe Scott Gimple, you know, he might have a better clue, or Robert Kirkman. They may have an idea, or it's something that they may just want to leave up to the viewers to decide. Uh, They've done this a lot in the past. They give us a lot of breadcrumbs, and they leave us to come to our own conclusions as to exactly what the exact timeline is. Paula on YouTube writes, I'm pretty sure that I heard the producer say, World Beyond is between fear and The Walking Dead, but I'm not really sure. I think he was in the first Comic-Con. Um, AJ on YouTube writes, I wonder what that means for Morgan now that he's in fear, The Walking Dead, not the original show. Uh, Morgan is a fixture on fear, and he's staying there. He's not going anywhere. You know, Dwight has uh, jumped over to fear. He's not going anywhere. We're... We're getting another crossover character this season in Sherry. Sherry, Dwight's wife, is going is coming to fear. I believe she is the one that patched Morgan up after at the end of season five when he was shot by uh, Virginia. Uh, but we do know that Sherry's coming back. We might, and next week's episode looks like it's going to be with Dwight and Al. That's probably the two main characters that we're going to see in next week's episode. And maybe next week is when we uh, get to see Sherry again. If not, it's coming sometime soon. She's going to be in this season. And I think, like, you know, the way they did with Dwight last season, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, Paula on YouTube writes, is Maggie coming back? Maggie is already... Oh, you mean Maddie. Uh, are you talking about Madison? Uh, the official word is no. No. A lot of people loved Madison. I'm one of them. Uh, it made me very sad when Madison was quote-unquote killed off the show. But we don't know. We don't know if she's still out there. All, all indications point that she is dead. That she is dead, but it doesn't mean anything. Uh, things can change. They can bring her back. Anyway, uh, moving on. For 10 years of The Walking Dead, we literally have seen these little camps of a few dozen or 100 people doing battles with sticks and scavenged ammo. And you're telling me that somehow a community of 200,000 is out there working as a cohesive community and total secrecy that is genuinely hard to believe crm has previously said they're all about saving the world which could mean finding a cure but from this revelation it could also just mean they are putting society back together i do not know just how much we'll find out about the crm through the world beyond which is only slated to run for 20 episodes before ending. 
but it may take until the Rick Grimes movies before we know significantly more. But I have a hunch that fear will return to the CRM again, and that after The Walking Dead does its Commonwealth arc, we will see Daryl and Carol's spinoff series have to do with the CRM as well. That's fascinating. I mean, setting it up uh, as not just a mystery strike force, but a huge civil, uh, civilian population center changes the entire nature of the Walking Dead universe. And how would it relate to another huge but not that huge community like the Commonwealth? So many questions. So many questions. And there's so much left in store for us to find out. Uh, And I'm excited. I'm just all out excited to uh, see what's coming our way in regards to the rest of this fear season. How much information are we going to get? In regards to the CRM, we already gotten a lot of little tidbits in the first three episodes. Uh, population size, the map of New York. I'm excited to see the, the journey of Iris, Hope, Elliot, and Silas as they try to make it to New York. Now they're joined by Felix and Huck. So it's the six of them. It's the Walking Dead universe. We are going to lose people. Out of those six, whew, I don't know who's going to make it. I don't know who's going to make it the 20 episodes. I don't know who's going to make it to the end of this season. I am pretty certain that Iris is going to make it uh, all the way through to the 20 episodes. I, to be honest with you guys, as far as people that we might lose on World Beyond, now watching three episodes of it. My bet, and this hurts to say, but I think it's going to be Hope. Uh, Played by uh, Alexa Mansoor. I think Hope is going to die on the World Beyond. And as we've seen so many times in the past, her death, is going to have a profound impact on Iris, her sister. And again, as we've seen so many times in this franchise in the past, you know, hope dying is probably what Iris needs to propel her to the next level and what she needs to learn and what to do and survive on this crazy journey that they're undertaking from Omaha, Nebraska to New York State, which is over 1,100 miles away. And they're barely, you know, they're still in the Omaha region and they've come across so much crazy stuff. Uh, We can, our imaginations can just run wild with the stuff that they are going to face. And I can just imagine how much fun the writers are having just being as creative as possible on what these six people are going to encounter on their journey to New York State. Now, this season, we are going to meet their father, Dr. Leo Bennett, who is the person that Elizabeth and the CRM took from the Omaha colony as the main scientist to help find a cure for the disease. And we also know that he sent back a message to Iris and Hope that he thinks that his life is in danger, which was the catalyst of this journey to begin with. Now we got to start asking our questions. Uh, Was that a real message? Uh, Was that someone from the CRM pretending to be Dr. Leo Bennett, sending that message just to entice his daughters to leave the community? Was it Elizabeth that sent that message? Or did it really come from Dr. Leo Bennett himself? But uh, what I do know is, based on the number of episodes that Dr. Leo Bennett is scheduled to appear in, 
in regards to this season of World Beyond, it's going to be four episodes. And that doesn't mean the group is going to reach New York this season. They're not. Uh, let's see if they reach it by the end of the 20 episodes, by the end of next season. Because remember, World Beyond is a limited two-season show. Uh, but we are going to go and see. They're going to flash us over to where Dr. Leo Bennett is. And we're going to find out what is really going on with him. And see what's happening where he is in New York. And let's see when we do see Dr. Leo Bennett on World Beyond. If we are going to be given more clues in regards to Rick Grimes. Which I'm, I'm, I feel really confident there are going to be some Easter eggs here and there that we have to pay very close attention to, uh, especially once we get to the episodes that we see Dr. Leo Bennett, which is Iris's and Hope's dad, who they're going to try to save. So a lot of stuff to look out for. You know, keep your eyes peeled when those episodes air with Dr. Leo Bennett. And remember our guest, we had the star of World Beyond on our show, uh, Iris Bennett, who's played by Aaliyah Royale. And if you remember, she said that one of her favorite episodes uh, filming and the one that she liked, one of the, you know, one of her favorite ones that she had doing is next week's episode, episode number four. So don't miss next week's episode of World Beyond. Uh, there's probably going to be some really crazy stuff that's going to happen. And coming from Aaliyah herself, she says that's the episode we got to keep an eye on. That was her favorite one to shoot. And I'm just, I can't wait till next week. Anyway, guys, we are pretty much out of time for today. This hour just flew by. I want to welcome all of our viewers who have joined me tonight. We had a really nice crowd for a Monday night. Thank you so much for joining me. Every Monday, as long as there is a Walking Dead show, we are going to be doing a review of the Sunday night's uh, episode of Fear, World Beyond, and then, of course, early 2021, when we start getting those six extra episodes of The Walking Dead. Don't forget, guys, very huge reminder here, in two days on Wednesday... 4.30, 4.30 p.m. Eastern United States time. Our special guest is going to be uh, Eleanor Matsura, who plays Yumiko on The Walking Dead. Uh, the show is going to be on a lot earlier than our normal start time of 9.30 p.m. Uh, that's because Eleanor is in the United Kingdom. So in order to accommodate her and us and our viewers... And, of course, her time zone being in the United Kingdom. Dead Talk Live on Wednesday is going to air at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And, guys, as always, please go to our website, deadtalklive.com. Hit on the submission form link at the top of the page and send us your questions for Yumiko. There's a great chance you can get your question asked to Eleanor, who plays Yumiko, and get your answer. I'll also be posting stories on Instagram and Facebook as well to allow people on more different ways to submit their questions. But I encourage everyone to head on over to our website, deadtalklive.com, and submit your questions for Eleanor. The interview is going to be this Wednesday, October 21st, 4.30 p.m. Eastern United States time. That is 9.30 p.m. London time. So that's it. Thank you, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is called Walking Dead Now. If you're there right now, it'd be appreciated if you guys can hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. Stay safe. Take care. And until tomorrow night, guys, remember to always stay walking.